Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, September 28th, we're studying Leviticus chapter 26, verses 1 to 46. In today's text, the Lord lays out for his people Israel how he will deal with them in the promised land in both his blessings and his punishments. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Joel Hawk. Pastor Hawk serves at St. John Lutheran Church and School in Fraser, Michigan. Pastor Hawk, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good to be back again with you, Pastor Apple. So we get started today. Talk to us a little bit about the context within the book of Leviticus. This is the penultimate chapter. What should we know as we prepare to look at this text? Yeah, it's the penultimate chapter, but it is kind of the climax of the book. It's the final admonition of the book, God speaking uh, personally to the Israelites uh, through his servant Moses. Um, and we'll see, you know, once again, how God deals with his uh, people in, in grace uh, you know, and, and wrath, uh, but how that grace uh, will kind of prevail over all things. And that's, uh, he shows himself to be, again, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, uh, but still dealing uh, with the people um, as needs to, uh, should they fall away from him. Now, you said that the the grace prevails over the wrath. It, it's somewhat striking when you look at the length of text. There seems to be more text that's dedicated to the wrath of God. But how do you how do you divide this up, and, and why do you say that the grace ends up prevailing over the wrath? Well, the grace ends up prevailing uh, because, yeah, we have the first couple of verses uh, will we'll remind the people of the essential demands of the covenant. Um, the next, you know, shorter section, uh, you'll talk about the blessings that do accompany them when they when they walk in God's statutes and observe his commandments and do them. And, yeah, we have the, that big section of the disasters that overtake them if they don't listen to God and walk according to his ways. But it ends with the prospect and promise of, of restoration. Um, it includes a reminder of God's continuing faithfulness to his covenant, um, that despite and um, in the face of their unfaithfulness, um, he remains faithful. Um, he will not forsake uh, them and, uh, and his promises. And that's where they and we um, and all people find their ultimate hope is God's faithfulness in the, uh, in the face of our unfaithfulness. Absolutely. So with that in mind, let's take a look at the text. This is Leviticus chapter 26. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the great, har great harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from your land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. 
I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number, so that your roads shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven, and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places, and cut down your incense altars, and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste, and will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land, so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths, as long as it lies desolate, while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight, and they shall flee as one flees from the sword, and they shall fall when none pursues. They shall stumble over one another, as if to escape a sword, though none pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. And you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity. And also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. But if they confess their iniquity, and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, 
If then their uncircumcised heart is humble, and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them, and enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity, because they spurned my rules, and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly, and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. That's our text for today, Leviticus chapter 26, verses 1 to 46. All right, Pastor Hawk, take us into those first couple of verses where the Lord lays out some commandments upon which the rest of the chapter is based. Yeah, he you know, sets before them these commandments that touch on you know, what we might call ritual or worship matters, and right, those are the divine lifeline uh, for for the people. Um, a lot of Leviticus you know, itself is you know, dealing with setting some of these things up, commanding them about their worship life and um, the way God wanted to be with them, be you know, make his presence dwell with them. And so you know, he reminds them, hey, I've given you the way that um, you know, our relationship is going to continue. And, you know, this sets before them kind of the, the negative and then the positive for them, right? Don't make these idols, these images or pillars, um, you know, especially those words for image and pillar. We're not you know, kind of exactly sure what that was, but it's, you know, God's kind of encompassing everything that they might use in idol worship and false worship. And then reminds them in verse two of, you know, hey, here's how you uh, do the true worship that I have given you, uh, keeping the Sabbaths, um, you know, keep, you know, reverencing or, or even fearing my sanctuary, my holy place, the place where I'm coming to live and dwell and, and be among you with my gracious presence, because that's what God wants for them. He wants his gracious presence to be with them, his blessing to be upon them. Uh, and, and here's how that's going to work uh, in their relationship together. Mm. Talk a little bit about some of the, the terms that are used in that first verse concerning the, the practice of idolatry that the Lord wants them to avoid. You know, this works out, obviously, the, the first commandment, you should have no other gods. Uh, there's, you know, these idols or images um, that itself was not the, the deity, but thought to inhabit that image or that, you know, figurine um, and manifest its presence and will um, through it, right? You know, they all had these various, you know, statues, perhaps, in their shrines and things. So, um, you know, if there was some you know, part of the uh, the idol that was there. Um, these pillars, you may have been, you know, sacred standing stones, um, you know, that were either places of worship or represented a god. Um, or uh, something like that, um, and these you know figured stones or, or pillars again, um, you know, may have referred to decorated or engraved um, threshold slabs um, in a temple area where you might you know, prostrate yourself and making a petition for a favorable sign from the god. Uh, so again, all all connected to you know false worship, um, idolatry, and seeking you know seeking protection, provision. Uh, deliverance from you know something or someone you know other than the one true God Yahweh their God. So that's what's forbidden is this matter of idolatry. Then what is the positive side commanded there in verse two about the Sabbaths and reverence for the sanctuary? Yeah, and this works out the third commandment: you know, keep the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, uh, both the day of rest itself for sure and its purpose. Right, going to God's sanctuary to hear His word. 
um, receive his gifts and respond with prayers, praises, um, offerings. Um, right? This is the place of God's holiness, the place of his presence to, to lavish his blessings upon them. And this is what God wanted to do, to forgive their sins, to be among them as, as their God and, and they as his people. Um, and this, you know, this seems to reference both the, the weekly Sabbaths, uh, the seven high holy feast days of rest, the, the years of rest for the land, especially as that idea comes back up um, later in the disasters that might come upon them. Um, so again, right, they, they wanted to observe these by, by rest, by hearing his word, um, and by, again, right, not the mere doing of the acts, but by the purpose behind them, receiving God's word in faith, responding to it, and, you know, living then the life that flows from that, uh, which the next section, section describes. So into the next section, then, the Lord begins to lay out some of the blessings, what it looks like for the people of Israel to respond in faith, and then what he will do. Uh, talk about how they are to respond in faith in that first first verse of this section. Yeah, the terms you hear, walk in my statutes, observe my commandments, and do them. All right, so so keeping guarding the ways of God, and you know, as as life, you know, so often in the scriptures is described as a walk with God and a walking on the way. Um, you know, these are the things that that guide us and and lead us and lead His people uh, as they you know observe them, keep them, and and do them. All right, live them out as His people. Um, even even here by the by the, we'd say by the power of the Spirit, by by receiving His word in faith and and responding um, appropriately. Um, just to skip ahead a little bit, you know, look at the end, you know, why should they, why should they do this? Well, God says, right, I'm Yahweh, your God. I, I brought you out of the land of Egypt that you're not, you know, shouldn't be slaves anymore. Uh, I broke the bars of slavery and, and made you walk upright and stand upright. God's, God's instructions, his statutes, his commandments are, are actually true freedom. Um, it, what it's what it looks like to be his people, to be the, the creatures that he, he made us to be, um, you know, as, as much as we can in this, you know, fallen world. And, and all of this is God dealing with his fallen, broken creation and people, um, those who are sinful and rebellious against him and, and making a way for um, them to walk with them and making a way for him to live among them um, and not have his holiness, you know, you know right, just destroy them, uh, but to be a blessing uh, of his presence with them. The way that he describes his freedom that he gives, breaking the bars of their yoke and making them stand upright or walk erect, really seems to stand in contrast to the way that they would otherwise bow down to idols. The Lord has, has freed them from that kind of idolatry and allowed them to stand upright. And as you said, they're going to walk in the statutes. They're going to, to walk erect. And it seems like that even plays off the way that the Lord says he's going to walk among them. That's a pretty key part of this promise. Yes, yeah, verses 11 and 12, God making his dwelling among them and you know, walking among them and being their God uh, and them being his people. I and mean, this theme is huge, right? God wants to cause his people to walk with him just as he, he walked them through the Red Sea. He's, walked, he, he's walking with them um, in the desert. Um, and, and this even goes farther back. It, the, the, the Hebrew seems to reflect um, Garden of Eden language, God walking and talking and being with, uh, with Adam and Eve. Um, so, so this talks about that that relationship of faith and trust that God you know intends and wants for uh, for His people. Um, as, as again, as much as they can now on the other side of Adam and Eve's sin, um, He wants to to make this possible by His grace, um, restoring the, you know, as much intimacy as as you know can be lived in now. Um, you know, on this side of eternity and this side of the restoration. Um, you know, he wants his purposes for creation shown in his dealings with them. I mean, that's what all these laws and regulations and and you know, things in the book of Leviticus, you know, ultimately, you know, what God wants to show. You know, what does it look like for him to restore, to redeem, uh, to renew uh, what has been undone by sin and death? 
Yeah, we've seen echoes of those first couple chapters of Genesis elsewhere in the book of Leviticus. And so yet again, that the Lord would walk among his people, call back to that, that time in the Garden of Eden, walking with his people. That is what he still desires. Now, when he walks with his people, this is a really good thing. As I was reading this section, I mean, the blessings that are described here are just fantastic. So talk, talk about some of these blessings that God promises when they walk with him and he walks with them. Yeah, and a lot of them deal with their situation in the land, right? Rains in their season, land yielding its increase, trees of the field uh, yielding their fruit, it, you know, in all times and places, but certainly um, in, in ancient Canaan, uh, the fertility of the land and the need for rain at the proper time and proper amount was, was acute. It was actually a, a central feature of the idolatrous practices of the Canaanites. And so here God says, yeah, you're going to walk into this land that where idolatrous practices are going to, to get what I know is needed, but I will be the one to provide, you know, that includes the threshing um, lasting to the grape harvest. And, you know, so the, the continual ability for the land to produce, right? God is going to provide for that. And, and you know, he's going to be the provider for his people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, verses six through eight, I talk about the, the peace and security that God will promise. You know, the, this word shalom, where, where everything is it's supposed to be, where you, you have this a freedom to to lie down with with nothing to make you afraid because right again it's not just the absence of war but uh, but you're not afraid um, that anything can or will go wrong the harmful beasts are gone the uh, you know the land isn't threatened by by war uh, you trust in the Lord to to deal with your enemies um, in this way right verse eight describes kind of Yahweh as the divine warrior fighting for them and and we'll see this in mm-hmm. um, in Jericho and Gideon versus the Midianites um, and lots of places where where the people you know, are, are fewer in number, um, don't seem to be as strong, but God fights for them um, as he fulfills his promise. Um, verse 9 talks about numerical increase, right? Uh, go, fruit, you know, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Uh, God will make sure that that uh, blessing is, is provided for them. Um, he preserves, you know, verse 10, he preserves and provides abundance um, is what that's talking about, eating old store long kept and, and clearing out the old to make way for the new. Uh, what you have will be kept and, and you always will have more than enough. And then finally, we get back, you know, as we've seen already, verses 11 and 12, his presence and residence with his people, um, you know, kind of sums up his provision for his protection over his people, because that's who he is. Um, he wants to protect, he wants to provide, uh, certainly the earthly, you know, good things um, as he blesses here, you know, flowing from his, you know, grace and mercy uh, in forgiveness and um, the life that he gives them. Talk more about that phrase. That's a pretty key phrase for this section of the the scriptures, the five books of Moses, where the Lord promises that he's going to be their God, they'll be his people. Yeah, this harkens back to um, Exodus 6, verse 7. It's part of what Moses says to the people to encourage them after Pharaoh makes them get their own straw for bricks. Uh, he says, no, you can still trust in God. Yes, he's you know giving you this kind of hardship here as he hardens Pharaoh's heart. But he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Uh, which again, you know, in Leviticus 26 is picked up here in verse 13 again. It goes you know further back as well to the promises to, to Abraham to be God for him 
Amen, his descendants. He told Abraham, I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And he even there in that context promises this land uh, that the people are walking towards um, and, and you know that his dwelling would be among them both along the way as he gives them the tabernacle uh, and um, in the land as well. So um, God being the people's God, them being his people, um, you know, describes that relationship uh, that they have with him uh, and he with them. And you, you've talked a little bit about how this text looks backward to where the Lord dwelled with his people in the Garden of Eden. How does this text start to look forward to restoration and even, I mean, my mind had already gone to Revelation with the thought of, of there being constant produce with the tree of life. There, there's fruit every season. But so how does how does this text start to look forward also? Yeah, it certainly goes all the way there, but even within the Old Testament, uh, right, you know, versus, you know, the, the large portion of this text deals with the disasters that will happen, and we know, you know, do come upon Israel because of their unfaithfulness, um, leads them into exile, right, but even Ezekiel, as he talks about the return from exile and what that will mean and what that will bring, um, he makes reference to uh, you know, to these promises, to these blessings uh, here in Leviticus uh, 26, in Ezekiel 34, 24 to 31, as as God leads his people back, you know, under my servant David. So there's even a, a messianic uh, tone and flavor to, uh, to Ezekiel 34. He talks about rains in season, produce of land and fruit trees, secure residence in the land, uh, peace without any evil beasts or anything to fear, uh, the presence of God with his people, uh, and the deliverance from slavery and the breaking of the yoke uh, that he promised to them. So, you know, Ezekiel picks up and says, hey, God's about to restore and, and fulfill, uh, you know, again, kind of the promise he'll make at the end of Leviticus 26, you know, saying, when when you fall away, you'll go into exile, but I will, I will fulfill and renew my covenant uh, with you. Uh, he did it, to, again, right, at the return from exile, ultimately does that for us and for all people in Christ, uh, looking forward, as you mentioned, to the new creation uh, promised in Revelation. Now, the text makes the turn in verse 14, where the Lord begins to describe to his people what happens if they don't listen to him, if they don't walk in the ways that he has given them. And as we said before, this section is longer than the, the section concerning those blessings. Help us to, to break it down, as a, give us the big picture view of, of these punishments that are going to come if they don't listen. Yeah, it's the, the withdrawal of God's blessings. And you know, as I thought about you know, why this section might be longer, right? Sometimes, well, if things are going well and you're receiving blessing, that doesn't need to be enumerated. <laughs> it's sometimes the warning and what could happen to say, okay, you know, here's what's going to happen you know, if, if you fall astray, if you walk uh, contrary uh, to me. You know, let, let's spell that out so you, you know, really understand what might happen. Um, and there can be that accountability or the just say, hey, I, I laid this out for you. What would happen? There's, there's no, well, you didn't you didn't warn us. You didn't say. Uh, so sometimes it's just helpful to, to lay out the, the negative um, a little sure. more uh, fully than the positive. Yeah. And and what God does here, he, you know, the, the threats, so to speak, you know, seem to um, increase in severity throughout the section. Um, you know, hey, during unfaithfulness, Israel will be called upon to know these things as God's discipline and God's going to, you know, maybe go step by step, you know, always hoping to bring his people back to repentance at each step, uh, but saying, here's here's how things will go, right? In, in verses 14 through 15, Israel won't listen, and then God says, well, I'll, you know, set my face against you. Verse 18 says, Israel still will not listen. Um, and then God says, well, I'll discipline you seven times. Uh, verse 21 uh, introduces the, the, the language of Israel walking contrary um, and not listening. 
and being then struck seven times you know, again by the God, by, by God, uh, by the Lord. Um, verse 23 says, Israel won't be disciplined. They won't receive that correction and still walk contrary. And then, then we get the language of God walking contrary to them and striking them seven times. And then it kind of, you know, comes to a head in verse 27 when Israel still will not listen, is walking contrary to God. And now, now the idea of God walking contrary in anger. Uh, this is when, this is finally when the wrath of God uh, you know, comes up in this um, section, right? A, a lot of this first part of punishment, dis discipline, um, correction, um, the wrath idea uh, comes up strongly in 28 through 33, and that's the largest kind of description of of what's going to happen ultimately uh, should they continue in unfaithfulness, right? Israel here is, you know, again, characterized in, into the future by an inability or refusal to listen and accept correction, uh, which ultimately leads to opposition to God. But, but God is patient. Um, he's going to deal justly with their sin, rebellion, and idolatry. Uh, but he's not going from you know zero to a hundred, <laughs> um, so to speak. He's going to give them opportunity to repent. He's going to be patient, um, and because that's who he says he is. He's patient, uh, and um, and you know, wants wants his people to turn back to him. Yeah, the the way that God responds to their disobedience, their refusal to listen, as it grows, I mean, it matches the way that He's laid out the Book of Leviticus, where there have been sacrifices that are offered depending on what. The sin was, or you know, I mean, even just thinking about the the law of retribution, the lex talionis, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The Lord follows those same principles, and and as you said, it's all based really on His patience with His people, rather than just outright getting rid of them at the beginning, which He certainly could. He is patient. He works with them, and His His discipline matches their disobedience. So it's definitely worth pointing out. Now, what's the what's the purpose of God in doing this? Why does He discipline in this way? Yeah, so the, the purpose for it all is kind of summarized in verses 36 through 39, and it talks about the, the rest for the land, because you know, the, the idolatrous practices that they would find themselves in leading up to this uh, would include right, not keeping Sabbaths and uh, not reverencing the sanctuary, and, and God says the, the, the purpose and goal will, for, will be for the land to enjoy its rest that it was supposed to and, and you didn't keep, uh, and so, so that's going to be given rest, and you know, as you are sent into exile, there's. I think there's also a sense that um, as as you are sent away from the land, you're going to desire that rest um, as you're there. And though you'll be sent into foreign lands, you'll finally understand, um, you know, by my word and by my spirit, um, you know, what all this was meant to be, and what it was meant to entail to walk with me in relationship, and why that was so important and vital for you. Um, you know, so that repentance and renewal uh, might be worked in their hearts. So that is the purpose for which the Lord gives this discipline. And we're going to look more specifically at what that discipline entails on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Joel Hawk this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, September 28th. We're studying Leviticus chapter 26, verses 1 to 46 with Pastor Joel Hawk. He serves at St. John Lutheran Church and School in Fraser, Michigan. Pastor Hawk, prior to the break, we started to talk about the section where the Lord describes his discipline for Israel's disobedience. You've laid out some of the big picture contours. There's a word that shows up several times. In the English, it's abhor. How does that help us to see the progression of the section as well? Yeah, it, it harkens back you know, initially here to the blessing section, verse verse 11, where it says, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. Like God says, as my dwelling is with you, you you have the you know embodiment of, of me um, not abhorring you, uh, me living with you, and that's my goal, that's my desire. Um, you know, and, and again, right, I won't abhor you, even though you know we have we have the sinfulness about us and uh, the rebellion uh, that God knows is, is within hearts. He says, I, I want to you know, live with you and I won't abhor you. But in, in this section, in the section on the, the punishments for disobedience, God says in verse 15, right, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul, if your soul abhors my rules so that you don't do all com my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. Right, so what's going to happen if when God is not abhorring them, Israel abhors God and his rules. Well, verse 30 says, And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. Now God's soul does abhor them as they have uh, turned away from him. This is in kind of the ultimate section of, of the threats, uh, so to speak, that you know God's soul abhors them because, of, because they have turned away from him and his grace uh, verse 43 he reminds them this is why all this happens including the uh, the land getting their rest of the exile because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes uh, but again we mentioned at the beginning this was all uh, wrapped up in and you know finalized in god's grace and verse 44 reminds us with that same word yet for all that when they are in the land of their enemies i will not spurn them neither will i abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them for i am the lord their god this is again that ultimate gospel that god will not abhor or spurn spurn or loathe or reject his people forever he'll have compassion um god's not a god who abhors his people or abhors anyone uh, but wants them to be saved, wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth and turn to him um, in repentance and faith. And to see it, the, the use of that same verb toward the end of this chapter helps us to, again, keep in mind the purpose of what's going on as we consider the various ways that the Lord disciplines the disobedience of his people. So let, let's take a look at, there's, there's five sections. They don't really always match up with the paragraph breaks, at least as the ESV puts them. So the, the first matter of disobedience and the Lord's discipline comes in verses 14 to 17. What do we see there? Yeah, here we see kind of maybe the, the one word would be panic, um, sickness, military vulnerability, kind of that fear uh, that the Lord said in the previous section they, they wouldn't have you know, comes upon them. 
uh, right? And verse 15 reminds us, right, they can't, you know, they can't, uh, you know, break the covenant themselves or see verse 44 as well, right? You know, God, God won't break it, uh, but they can spurn it. They can abhor it. They can uh, forfeit the blessings, um, you know, of it. And uh, again, right, this section of panic and sickness and vulnerability um, reverses uh, that promise of, of peace and, and shalom and the lack of fear in the land. And God even turns against them and sets his face um, against them uh, so that they have enemies and uh, they, they will, will fear them and uh, be, uh, you know, have their have their hearts um, aching and uh, their enemies shall shall eat what they sow. And so there's there's just you know, a lot of other things, you know, happening that, you know, God says, you know, can be avoided. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you see that the panic that started it continues there in verse 17, that they're fleeing when no one is pursuing. So the, the panic continues. Now, despite this discipline, their disobedience grows. How do, how do things progress then into verses 18 to 20? Yeah, and here in this section, God talks about drought, uh, kind of a reversal of the blessings of rain and harvest and continual abundance um, in the previous section. Um, you know, the the heavens are, are like iron and the earth is like bronze, uh, hardening uh, and turning against the people of the things that, you know, are, are used by God to provide uh, their daily bread, right? Everything that's supposed to support and serve the people by God's grace is now now used for uh, discipline, uh, disciplining them sevenfold uh, for their sins. Their strength shall be spent in vain, uh, right? And the land shall not yield its increase. The trees shall not yield their fruit and um, and. and you know, God is breaking their their pride, breaking the pride. Um, you know, he, he he broke their yoke in verse thirteen. Now here he's breaking their pride um, as they you know are wandering away from him. Now then, in verse twenty one, now the people walk contrary to the Lord. They continue not to listen. How does he respond in the next section? He will let loose the wild beasts against you, and they shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock. Um, you know, and this walking contrary, right, paints the picture of, of a child deliberately going in the opposite direction of the parent. And you know, this section reverses a clear, you know, blessing of, of God removing the harmful beasts. And we actually see an instance reported of this in Second Kings 17, where, where wild beasts are, are you know, destroying uh, people and livestock and, and things like that. So we see a historical outworking of, of God's, you know, threat here. Um, you know, as as the people are deserted, the, the land becomes deserted, and, and this you know, idea of things being deserted, the sanctuaries, the land, desolate, devoid of inhabitants, becomes kind of a, a renewed theme uh, throughout the rest of uh, of the text. Hmm. I just, I, this is maybe jumping the gun, but I, my mind, crossed my mind, the way that Mark describes the temptation of Jesus afterwards, Jesus is there with the wild animals, and the angels are ministering to him. And the fact that that's happening in the wilderness strikes me as a, a bit of a reversal or the fulfillment in Christ, maybe in Mark chapter one. Yeah, where uh, where you know Jesus is, yeah, with them, and you know, thus his people need not fear them. Um, I think would be yeah that, that fulfillment of of God dealing with the, the again the things that would make his people afraid, and that they know the one who has power and control over them, and he's going to protect them, um, even as he protects them from the ultimate evil one, uh, Satan and and his temptations. I think yeah. that's a yeah, probably a key fulfillment there. All right. So then, as as the text continues in Leviticus twenty six, the the discipline grows because the disobedience grows, especially starting there in verse 23 of the text. Uh, what do we see next? 
and here's more uh, war coming upon the, the people. Um, you know, vengeance for the covenant, a sword upon them, uh, pestilence uh, for them. And uh, you know, all this coming together as his you know, covenant has been offended. More, more epidemic. The bread supply is wasted. There's little to be baked. What is available is rationed out. The, the imagery suggests here that there's so little grain that 10 households can use one oven uh, rather than um, each their own. Right? God, and God, again, had promised peace. He'd promised abundance. Um, here's a direct reversal of that. Uh, you have no peace. You'll, you'll be under threat of war and, and certainly not abundance, but lack, um, extreme lack and poverty uh, here, uh, as we'll see. Yeah. All right. So then it, it reaches a climax in verse 27 as the Lord's discipline grows yet again for his people's growing disobedience. And this is where the text gets, gets difficult to read for some of the punishments that are described. Yeah, and it's it's pr a pretty horrible threat, uh, and it go flows from that you know, extreme lack uh, that that was threatened. Um, and, and here's God saying, "This is what's going to happen because of the the lack you will have." Right, verse twenty nine: You'll eat the flesh of your sons and eat the flesh of your daughters. And we 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 can't hardly imagine the the depths of privation that would lead someone to that. And yet God says, "This is what's going to happen, you know, because you have walked contrary to me." Um, and, you know, horribly, we see this described in, in 2 Kings 6 during the siege of Samaria. We hear it described for Jerusalem in Lamentations 4 and, and 2. Um, and, uh, again, horrible things we, we can't even, we, we don't want to imagine. <laughs> yeah. um, but we see as historical realities and we see as as the, these threats fulfilled. Um, right again, right? And verse 30 reminds us it's because they had these high places and incense altars and idols um, that, that led them to be abhorrent to the Lord because they were dealing with things that are abhorrent to the Lord, sin and idolatry and uh, the ways of wickedness and, and death. Um, and this, so, so God says, you know, here's the, the kind of ultimate devastation is going to come upon you uh, in, this, in this way. Yeah, I mean, it, it just gets, it gets worse and worse until finally, I mean, the land is devastated. The enemies that get there are going to be appalled by it. The Lord's going to scatter his people cities laid waste. I mean, this is the, the ultimate discipline God gives his people, again, for their disobedience. As it grows, so grows his discipline. And then as, as the text continues, we find out again the purpose for that, which you, you've introduced already. Uh, starting there in verse 34, what are some of the purposes for the, the discipline that God has described should his people be this disobedient? Yeah, the land finally getting its rest. Uh, if the people weren't gathering to hear his word, if they were uh, you know, maybe even just going through the, the motions and giving lip service to the Sabbath and, and worship, uh, right, and not fulfilling the true purpose of Sabbath, to hear his word in faith, um, even if they were doing the outward act. Um, God says that's not a true Sabbath, and so finally the Sabbath is going to come, you know, in spite of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, and God's going to fulfill his purposes for the land. And, and like I said earlier, I think even for them, um, you know, in, in the submission and deprivation that they will have, whether they're left in the land or whether they're in exile, um, you know, they need to come to the realization, you know, they need to be woken up to their, their sin, their idolatry, their um, walking away and walking contrary to God and, um, you know, receiving then justly the reversal of his blessings. Uh, right, verse 37, you know, they shall stumble over one another as if to escape a sword, though none pursues, right? Again, the, this despondency, this paranoia, no one's chasing you, but you're, um, you're afraid. Um, you know, the, the end, you know, verse, verse 38 is kind of an interesting turn of phrase. You shall perish among the nations and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're not eating the fill of the, the land, but the land of the enemies even is now you know, eating them, devouring them. 
uh, right? The imagery of just kind of despair, despondency, um, being down in the depths um, is the imagery that's going on here, right? All of all of what Israel would do, you know, verse 40 reminds us, is it's against Yahweh. It's against the Lord, the one who had made covenant and, uh, you know, given these promises to them. And so God wants them to accept their plight and, and confess uh, their iniquity and recognize and conf right, confess their sins. Um, and But the scriptures remind us, right, when God is faithful and just, he, he forgives uh, their sins, right? He wants wants them to be humbled, you know, so that he can uh, have mercy. He wants them to recognize their, their uncircumcised hearts, all right? And that points us to the fact, you know, of, of scripture, right, that the circumcision was never just about, again, either the outward act too, but was to be accompanied by the circumcision of the heart uh, so that, you know, there is love for God. Uh, there is love for him, that, that life with him might be a pleasing and desirable thing. Uh, we don't see, you know, everything that we've seen in Leviticus and even for us here, right, the, the Ten Commandments and and the law, sometimes we see it as restrictive, but God says, no, it's, it's true freedom. Uh, and when you receive them in, in that way and you receive that in repentance and, and recognize when you've walked contrary to that, uh, there's grace, there's blessing, and even restoration for you. Yeah, the, the mention of the uncircumcised heart needing to be humbled I think, you know, again, helps us to look forward to the way that the, the people of Israel fall into this disobedience. So often thinking, for example, that they got the outward mark of circumcision, and so they'll, they're fine regardless of whether or not their heart's been circumcised, regardless whether or not there's faith in what God has done for them. That mention of the uncircumcised heart really goes forward into to the way the prophets will preach to Israel as their history progresses. Now, as this section continues where the Lord is talking about his purposes, there is, there is this hope that the people will repent and he will begin to restore. So talk about this restoration that God is promising here toward the end of this chapter. Yeah, everything that he's going to do, and especially that Sabbath rest and, and taking them from the land, um, he wants to prepare everything to restore them to the land, restore them to his covenant, uh, restore them to being his people gathered um, around his, around the true worship and his Sabbaths and uh, true worship of him uh, in the future. Um, you know, God, God remembers his covenant here, right? And that's a, that's a key phrase uh, that God does, right? He never forgets, um, you know, as we think of forgetting, but he specifically, when he remembers, he specifically calls to mind for, for a time of gracious action. Um, he, he brings us to mind and says, God's remembrance is actually his, his action. Um, we see this in Exodus 2 as he remembers his covenant, um, you know, as the people of Israel are in slavery, they cry out to God and God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He saw them and he knew. Uh, this is God saying, now is the time to act. Uh, now is the time when I'm going to, um, again, fulfill my gracious covenant with Jacob, Isaac, Abraham. And he goes all the way back to the beginning, uh, saying, this is the covenant I made with, with you know, Abram, even before he was Abraham. And to, to be a, that you would be a blessing to make you a great nation, uh, to you know to bless those who bless you and, and curse those who dishonor you and, and bless the whole earth in in you. And God's desire to bless all families of the earth is why ultimately He brings this restoration and renewal about and and does not break His covenant because if He broke this covenant with this people, um, then then the blessing He wanted to work for all people uh, would potentially be lost. Yeah, yeah it's, it's always amazing how many times the Lord's uh, mention of this covenant with Abraham comes up and how key that is for for the entirety of the scriptures. How does that go forward into the, the New Testament as well? 
Yeah, we see this at the beginning of, of Luke's account, uh, part of Zechariah's song at the, the birth of John the Baptist. Now God, right, God has visited his people. He showed mercy that he promised to the fathers to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And I think that wraps, that wraps up a lot of themes here of Leviticus 26 and of the whole book, um, God's faithfulness to his covenant, um, wanting his people not to be afraid, um, but to serve him in fear, uh, to be holy, to be righteous, as, as that comes to them from him, as from God, as his gracious gift to them. And then that, that might be played out and lived out in repentance and faith and, and the life that he calls his people to live. Mm, yeah. Uh, at the end of this chapter, where the Lord, I mean, he makes a marvelous promise, despite all of the things that his people have done, he says, I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt and the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Despite, despite the fact that he's going to discipline his people in this way, his covenant, he's not going to break his part. And again, that's where the, the chapter really lands on gospel for us. Yeah, it lands on, on gospel there. Even the, the last verse reminds us this is God's unilateral covenant. It's one he's making, and then he promises that he won't break it. And, and so, right, it depends on God and his character, and he shows himself throughout Scripture to be to be faithful and true. Um, and, and this is even confessed by, by Jeremiah in the midst of that disaster of destruction and exile, right, where he says in the middle of Lamentations, as, you know, the worst of the worst has happened, he confesses, the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Uh, this is not God's ultimate desire. The, the law is always uh, you know, God's penultimate uh, word or his, his alien work, uh, his proper work. And, and his ultimate uh, word is the gospel for our salvation and righteousness and, and hope in him. And it's all—it's the hope of Israel laid out here. It's the hope of all his people is only God's faithfulness to his covenant, um, which to look forward, right, is now for us the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And we see this fulfilled and uh, we have that same hope and that ultimate hope because of God's covenant for us and the world um, in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. There's always a hope and a future for God's people um, that he will renew, he will restore. And now we look forward to that in, in the new heavens and the new earth and the new uh, perfect land and the perfect rest and the perfect peace uh, that he gives us in, in Jesus. So with all that in mind, thinking about the, the things that the Lord spoke to his people here in Leviticus chapter 26, as you said, the, the climax of the book really as we think about our life of, of walking with the Lord, of him walking with us, uh, what are some ways that we can take this text and, and use it as Christians? Yeah, well, this is uh, this text is actually quoted. The, the thought is, is referenced in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. Um, it also uh, you know, dovetails with Ezekiel 37 in that context. But this idea of God walking among the people is drawn from uh, from this text, as God's, as Paul is, you know, talking about uh, not being e unequally yoked with unbelievers. God's people in Christ is the temple of the living God now, um, and He says, since since you all are Christ's, and thus God dwells among you all, you're supposed to live and move and have your being as such, and not in tune with uh, the idolatrous ways of the people around you. Uh, you know, similar to to here in Leviticus 26, uh, right the, from the first table of the law. Um, God wants us to you know, avoid the impure influence of the world, focus on our relationship with him as our God, um, be about rights and proper worship and reception of his word and, and sacraments uh, for us as his New Testament people. 
And we remember, right, that, that Christ literally dwelt among the people. <laughs> Jesus, you know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God fulfilled this promise to live among them, be their God with compassion and not abhorrence um, as he walked among them, as he you know, dealt with disease, as he dealt with death, as he right, cleansed lepers and, and, and did all his wonders and signs, wanting to draw people to himself. So, so in Christ, we see the fulfillment of God's desire to, to bless his people, to bless all people, uh, reminding us of the gracious nature that God um, has. As for us, right? It's not that it's not that somehow right, Israel did their part right before Christ's birth, you know, of, of you know verses one through three of Leviticus twenty-six, and that's why God sent His Son when He did. All right, no, it was His grace. Um, in fact, you can argue that you know this text comes to ultimate fulfillment for Israel according to the flesh after the rejection and crucifixion of Jesus, uh, as it's kind of ultimately destroyed uh, by the Romans in in sixty-six to seventy A.D. Um, and, and so then, right. From Christ and from us receiving his presence by word and sacrament now, right, we too await uh, the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate consummation of this promise in the new creation. Uh, I turn to Revelation 21, where right, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Uh, you know that the, the the new creation is where all this is is wrapped up and fulfilled and um, you know brought for us in in Christ our our Lord and Savior. Thinking about the way that this chapter is introduced, where the Lord tells His people no idolatry on the negative side, He He says don't do this, and on the positive side, keep my commandments, reverence my sanctuary. How how do we receive the same warning against idolatry and again the same encouragement to to hear the Lord's word as Christians? Yeah, Jesus himself uh, gives this, uh, I think of Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. It had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, or in the language of this text, would, would walk contrary and walk away from them, I will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, uh, the winds blew and beat against it, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Uh, so we have this this warning, this encouragement that Christ and His Word are the rock of our salvation. The way we, and as we receive Christ, um, we're receiving God's blessing uh, for us. And um, but we we can't also walk away. We can't ignore Him, and and thus you know bit by bit, uh, um, and ultimately, um, if we continue walking away, uh, can receive you know, punishment and and separation from from God's gracious presence, uh, just as the people of old did. Now, again, the, the bulk of this chapter is the blessing for listening and walking with the Lord, and then on the other hand, the discipline for disobedience. And certainly there are those within American Christianity that might misuse passages like these when we think about the, the earthly consequences or earthly blessings, but perhaps we shouldn't be too quick to dismiss them either. So how, how do we as Christians rightly think about the way we receive God's blessings and listening to his word? but also might receive his discipline when we don't listen to his word. Right. Well, we certainly are encouraged, you know, via the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Right? We want to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. Uh, Christ encourages us to be free from worry uh, because God promises to provide you know, all that we need, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Uh, God promises to to provide daily bread and, and encourages us to ask uh, to ask for it. Um, and, and there are times, the scripture says, where you know God may discipline and, and chastise us by his law um, in our sin. 
Um, it's not that we can always see something right bad in our life happening as a tit-for-tat response from God to our sin, but but there may be times um, of that that may call for discernment and, and help um, as you know from your pastor and God's word to, to determine if that's the case or um, if this is just part of the brokenness of creation in your life. Uh, but, th- but there may be times that God um, brings something into your life to uh, to bear on you, to, to turn you to him. Uh, to to help you walk with him uh, more closely, to help you recognize right sin and repent of it and turn in grace to him, or if nothing else, to lean more fully on him. Um, you know, he, he you know, crosses do get um, placed on us. Uh, you know, Jesus says, right, take up your cross daily and follow me. We're going to have crosses as God's people, again, whether as directly attached to a direct um, you know, sin of ours, or just because uh, that's the way God God works under the cross uh, for our um, repentance and faith um, to draw us closer to Him. Yeah, I mean, when when we receive that discipline, and again, not always knowing exactly why it's coming, but when those those moments of suffering come, to to place our trust in the Lord, to to examine ourselves and repent as necessary to confess our sins, uh, seems like the appropriate response because that's what God gives us His purpose here. When He disciplines, He's always trying to draw us to repentance and closer to him rather than push us farther away. Yeah, if we're, again, if we're disciplined or chastised, but God says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. He's patient toward you. I'm not wishing that any should perish. Um, and, and that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and uh, to, you know, let us receive again, the blood of Jesus that cleanses us uh, from all sin. And that's, that's God's ultimate purpose, his ultimate goal, his ultimate desire for us in all things, uh, for us and our salvation. We've got about two minutes here, Pastor Hawk. As we consider this text from Leviticus 26, help us to, to wrap things up and point us to the fulfillment that is ours in Christ. All right, God wants his people to walk with him um, in faith and trust under the first commandment, to receive his word in, in grace and in faith um, under the third commandment. Uh, to And he wants to work blessing in our life, you know, both, both materially in this world and um, you know, and to provide our daily bread, uh, but certainly the spiritual blessings that come um, you know now for us you know in Christ and certainly right that the people of Israel looking forward to those promises fulfilled um, in the Old Testament. Uh, you know everything wrapped up here is about uh, God wanting to give His blessing to His people and warning them that should they walk away should they walk away from Him. Um, you know, he has to deal with sin and death in their life. He wants to deal with that sin and death by forgiving it and raising them to new life as they turn in repentance. Uh, but should they continue to walk further and further away from him, uh, you know, they may walk away uh, from him, but always wrapped around with, he will never walk away from them. He will always, uh, like the uh, like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, he'll always have his arms um, open wide with mercy and grace, remembering his covenant made to Abraham, fulfilled now uh, in Christ for all people, and, and looking forward to our, our reception into eternity, to the new creation, uh, to the restoration of all things when Christ returns. Pastor Joel Hawk serves at St. John Lutheran Church and School in Fraser, Michigan. He's been helping us today to study Leviticus chapter 26, verses 1 to 46. Pastor Hawk, thanks for being our guest today. It's been great to be back again. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Leviticus 26, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk again tomorrow.